I'm Tim McCullough. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Hill Church, and I'm married to the very beautiful Lori McCullough. Um, it's my pleasure this morning to bring the Word of God to you. And I'd like to take this uh, time to thank the Fallon family for Brandon, uh, Aggie, Josh, and Caleb for reading the scripture for us this morning. Thank you guys so much. And I very much enjoy that our church is doing this with our community. Would you please pray with me? Father, we pray that you attend your word right now as we go through it. Teach us how to increase our faith as we become more confident and secure in the authority you have given to Jesus over all things and give us the humility to ask him for all of our needs, just as he taught us in his name. We pray you would touch each heart listening in only the way that you can, Lord. We love you, Lord, and ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Please consider for me this morning this question. Do you have faith that God is for you? Do you have faith that God is for you? I would think that probably most of the Grace Hill members would answer that question, yes. I would think that most of those who are regular attenders to Grace Hill would say yes. But then I think there's a healthy percentage of us that might say, I don't know, or I'm not sure. And then there might be some of you out there that say, I don't think he is for me at all. We're considering, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke this morning. I, I preached on this series the first Sunday of 2020. And if 2021 is anything like 2020, I'm not sure this church is going to let me preach the first sermon of 2022. Now, I'm not a superstitious person, but I'm just saying. Okay. Well, please don't, tune, don't blame me for 2020 and don't tune me out either. The last sermons we heard in this series on Luke uh, covered the Sermon on the Mount from Luke's account. Our pastor, Alan McCullough, was leading us in the basic understanding of how to spot a Christian. The basic thrust of this teaching was that you can tell a tree by its fruit. The characteristics of a Christian are shown by their lifestyle and actions being in sync with the lifestyle and actions of Jesus. Luke records five teachings from Jesus about the first fruit we learned, the long game, Alan called it. He called it the long game, meaning that we believe that all of God's promises are going to be fulfilled in God's kingdom and not through this world. So we don't waste our time trying to fill our hopes and our desires through this world and what it has to offer. We hope in God and what he offers. We learn that the follower of Jesus has the second fruit of being merciful. Our instinct would be mercy towards others just as God has shown us mercy. The third fruit we learned is that the follower of Jesus is self-aware. In the sermon on self-awareness in Luke 6, 37-42, Alan made this statement. Jesus teaches us about a particular fruit 
that we must produce as Christians, self-awareness. We cannot see other people clearly unless we have the humility to see ourselves clearly first. We can't see other people clearly unless we have the humility to see others first. The follower of Jesus will confront another person out of love only and not for any other desire. We do not condemn others. Well, with each of these first three fruits, we produce them more and more as we are aware of and rest in God's goodness toward us. Fruit does not grow in the soil of keeping laws. Fruit does not grow in the soil of trying to prove myself. Fruit does not grow in the soil of guilt and shame. Fruit does not grow in the soil of picking yourselves up by your bootstrap and just trying harder. No, fruit grows in the soil of the safety and security of the mercy and grace of God. So those messages on the Sermon on the Mount ended with the fruit of treasuring Jesus because without that, none of those fruit will grow. We learned that what we treasure internally in our hearts affects how we live externally. That fruit is the external evidence of what you treasure in your heart. So our passage in Luke this morning refers to the sayings that Jesus made on the Sermon on the Mount. It, it starts with, after he had finished all his sayings. So it refers to the sayings that he made on the Sermon on the Mount. And I think it's important for us to see that Luke is building upon what he has just told us. There were no chapter divisions in Luke's writing. Those are there for our convenience. So let's see what leads into our passage this morning that the Fallons read for us. And that's at Luke 6, 47 through 49. I'll be reading from the ESV. And Jesus had just warned his listeners... Starting in verse 17, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose and the streams broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Treasuring Jesus and following him in faith and not treasuring him and following him in faith brings about the likeness of these two results. Why? Is it because if I follow him, he will love me and he will be for me? Or is it the opposite? If I do not follow him, he will be against me. In listening to what Luke has just reported about the person who listens to Jesus and does does what he says or not, today I would like to talk with you about authority, humility, and faith. Authority, humility, and faith. 
What we see in the passage that the Fallon family just read for us this morning is that right after Jesus had said all these things in the Sermon on the Mount, he entered Capernaum. There was a centurion who highly valued his servant of his who was sick at the point of death. The centurion had heard about Jesus and sent elders from the Jews asking Jesus to come heal his servant. Well, the Jewish elders pleaded with Jesus to do this for the centurion because they regarded him as worthy because he loved the nation of Israel and he had built them a synagogue. Jesus goes with the elders, but the centurion sent some friends to tell Jesus not to trouble coming to his home because the centurion did not feel worthy to have Jesus under his roof. Now, I would remind you that this centurion is a Roman centurion, a commander who is responsible for maintaining government rule. He does not feel worthy before Jesus. He sent word that he did not even presume to have Jesus come. uh, He did not even presume to come personally to Jesus. He asked Jesus to just say the word and let his servant be healed. The centurion explains for us how he understands authority. And by saying the word, it causes things to happen. Jesus marvels at the centurion and he turns to the crowd following him and declares, not even in Israel have I found such faith. The servant was healed. Why did Jesus marvel? Was it because the Roman centurion, a Gentile, a non-Jew, believed that Jesus had the authority to heal? Or was it that the centurion believed that Jesus had the authority to just speak And it would be so. Or was it both? The centurion has faith that Jesus had the authority to do something and he had the humility to ask him to do it. The centurion believed that Jesus would be for him. And that takes faith. This passage shows us that Jesus is associating the recognition of his divine authority with faith. You may think that's a stretch just based on one passage. So I'd like for us to consider a passage in Matthew 17, 14 through 20, where Jesus talks about faith. Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20, starting in verse 14. And when they came to... To the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. He often, often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, 
If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. What does Jesus mean by a mustard seed of faith? Most of us regard this as just a saying and do not take it to be Jesus actually meaning that. Jesus is saying that speaking in truth, speaking in true faith will cause things to take place because of Jesus' authority, because of his authority. This same incident is explained in Mark 9, and I want to look at Mark 9 just to see the same incident there. It's in Mark 9, verses 14 through 29. This is the same incident, only reported by Mark. Starting in verse 14. And when they had come to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him, Jesus. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together... He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house... His disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Same incident, different account. In this account of the same event, we learn another way that Jesus explains this faith. He exposes the unbelief with the exclamation, If you can. And the father understands and asks for help to grow his own mustard seed of faith out of a state of unbelief into belief. The disciples ask why they could not cast out the demon. And Jesus tells them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. 
Why do you think Jesus says this? Is it because of a lack of prayer? Is it because of a lack of faith? Or I think it is because of a dependence upon a higher authority through humble positioning. I think it's because through humility, we are dependent upon a higher authority. Jesus said in John 14, 12 through 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I was a fairly strong Christian through high school, college, and in my young adulthood. I learned to rely upon the Lord and depended on Him to lead and provide. He led me to my bride, Lori, and of course, since she was and is extremely easy on the eyes, beautiful, and a real sweetheart, I found it very easy to follow His lead. We said, I do. And then as time marched on and on and on, and I was finding it harder and harder to follow the Lord down the path of loving this particular neighbor as I love myself. I was speaking in terms of the gospel to other people, but not putting my faith in the redeeming work of Jesus on the cross for my own marriage relationship. Lori and I grew further and further apart, and it was looking irredeemable. We were both having thoughts of wanting out. Let me ask you a question. What is it that you think Jesus cannot redeem? Do you believe Jesus is for you? Do you believe that Jesus desires to bring redemption into your life? Where does Jesus' authority have no power in your life? I would say that it stops where it will not be for glorifying the Father in the Son as expressed in John 14. My faith in a redeemed marriage was stifled by my own desire to be the one who was glorified. Or in other terms, I wanted what I wanted for me and my own satisfaction without consideration of even the Lord, much less Lori. Do you remember that the centurion wanted his servant to be healed because he valued that person? All in one statement, the centurion acknowledged who had the authority And who would have the glory? And it was in loving his neighbor and not for his own benefit. I I found myself realizing that my marriage failure was because of my own selfish ways that caused me to follow the Lord, to cause me to not follow the Lord and to not love my neighbor, meaning my wife, as I am commanded to love. I then realized I was in need 
of a redeeming grace and love. I was in need of a healing for my heart and my marriage that would only come through treasuring Jesus and not myself. Then I would have the fruit of mercy, self-awareness, and be willing to play the long game. Oh my. Was I not a Christian? I was. What I needed was a foot washing. In John 13, when, John wa- when Jesus washes the, pe- the disciples' feet, Peter rebukes Jesus. And I want to read John 13 uh, for us when, when this happens. John 13, starting in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, authority, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, Do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing for you, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus told him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Not my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. Completely clean. What Jesus is telling Peter here is that he is clean, completely clean. His feet, life, will get dirty in this broken world, and he will need to repent and be assured of his own position as a child of God. Nothing can separate Peter from that, but he will need to have a lifestyle of having his feet washed to live a life of victories and not defeats. Let me put that in another terms. Nothing can separate you, Christian, from God. But you will need to have a lifestyle of having your feet washed to live a life of victories and not defeats. Peter needed to hear this because in less than 24 hours, he would swear not to ever deny Jesus, and then he would do exactly that. Peter needed to be reminded that Jesus was for him. I needed to be reminded that... That my lifestyle was not one of coming to the foot of the cross and being reminded that I was completely clean, a child of God, and to lay down my worldly filth that I had picked up and have my feet washed and follow Jesus. I was not doing that. I was not treasuring Jesus. I was treasuring me. Jesus marvels at the person who believes that he truly has the authority to speak and heal 
and he associates that with a person's faith being strong. He says that faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Let me ask you some questions. What is your mountain? What is the thing going on that consumes you and captures your heart and thoughts and desires? What is the thing or things that cause you and me to question if God is for us or listens to us? What causes you to believe Jesus is not for you? Let me ask it another way. What limits your faith? At this time, we're going to break out into our Zoom breakouts for, for you, those of you on Zoom to discuss these questions among one another. And I would, I would ask you that if something comes up that somebody needs prayer for, take time and pray for them. We're going to be give you about 10 minutes to do this. And for those of you on YouTube and Facebook, I ask you to uh, maybe journal during this time, pray during this time. If you're with somebody else, discuss that. And I'll be back with us to close this sermon in 10 minutes. See you then.
Welcome back. Lori and I moved from Louisiana to Herndon, Virginia for a job. Within a year, I was let go from that job. I was out of a job that was supposed to support my family in this higher-priced market. I did not lose faith and plunge into worry and depression, and I can tell you why. During that year, the Lord led us to Reston Presbyterian Church, where we were hearing the gospel taught to us repeatedly. We were hearing that although we were far worse than we ever imagined as human beings, we were far more loved than we could imagine. And we were having our feet washed every time we engaged with people from that church. Jesus was becoming our treasure. When I was let go from my job, my reaction was to dive headlong into a book of sermons on the Sermon on the Mount preached by Martin Lloyd-Jones. I also decided to try to memorize the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. I would read and meditate and memorize during my morning hours, and I would look for work and seek employment in the afternoons. I was unemployed for only seven weeks, and that's amazing for us being in a place where we had very few connections. I was offered my, own, my old position even back in Louisiana. But Lori and I decided that the Lord had brought us back here and this is where we were to be. And we could not see leaving this church. The mountain before us moved through constant prayer and following Jesus regardless of our circumstances. In humility, we understood that God is in control and would provide for his children. Look at me. Did we worry at times? Of course we did. Did we question? Yes. Did we even worry? Yes. But then... Community group time or Sunday would roll around within a few days and our feet would be washed. We would be reminded that we are completely clean and we belong to him. We were reminded that Jesus was for us. God is for us and he is our protector, our provider, our good father. Now, I'd like to return to the foot washing passage in John 13, starting in verse 12. Starting in verse 12, it says, and this is John 13, when he had finished, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Our feet were washed and our vision, our hope, our faith would become strengthened. All Jesus would have to do is say the word and we would have employment once again. We would, he would not abandon us. He would help our unbelief. We would not love him because of a job and money to buy things. We would love him more and more because we could see him more clearly every time our feet were washed. And we were reminded that he, what he was willing to do for us to clean us completely. If his blood has authority to wash away and pay the price for all my sins and your sins, past, present, things that happen that I need washed, you need washed, and future things that I will need washed and you will need washed, then do I, do you believe that he has the authority over all things? Do you believe that Jesus has the authority over all things for your good? Romans 8:28. What limits our faith the most is having hope, more hope in this world than what is in what he has to offer. I believe that the reason Jesus has not seen the kind of faith in all Israel was because he had, they had more faith in the nation of Israel and the ways of doing things. They were looking for a conquering Messiah that would overthrow those undeserving Romans. Well, except for this one Roman who loved their nation and built them a synagogue. What kind of faith did the centurion have? Why was his faith not limited? He had heard about Jesus, we're told, He understood that the authority of Jesus had was different from his own in that Jesus had authority over sickness. Although he understands the Roman authority in the known world at the time and how he fits into that authority, he knows that Jesus has a different authority and he is humbled before that. He seeks for Jesus to use that authority for the benefit of someone he values. This only gives glory to God. Where do you get this kind of understanding of Jesus' authority? Where, where do you get the faith that God is for you? I love Peter because I, I think we all relate to him in one way or another. What kind of faith do you think Peter had when Jesus was arrested? Where was Jesus' authority at that moment? You and I just read where Jesus tells Peter he is completely clean. Peter is really confused now and frightened. He denies Jesus three times and then the cock crows. The The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that Peter broke down and wept at that point. Luke tells us that once the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked at Peter, and he went out and wept bitterly. I think that when Jesus looked at Peter, it was like a foot washing. 
you may think that it was a, I told you so, or really, Peter, or aren't you ashamed of yourself type look. But is that representative of the Jesus that we read about in the Gospels? The Gospel of Mark is known to be recorded by Mark based on what Peter told him. So it's really an account of the life of Christ from Peter's point of view. And I've always been amazed at the passage in Mark 10, verse 21, where the rich young man comes up to Jesus asking him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And verse 21 tells us, Jesus looking at him, loved him. Jesus looking at him, loved him. The reason I've always been amazed by that is because I wonder, what does that look like? Peter knew what that looked like. So I believe that when he had denied Jesus and Jesus looked back at him, Jesus loved him. That was a much needed foot washing. Peter wept bitterly, probably because he was wondering how he could have done what he did knowing Jesus the way he did. Luke also records that Peter running to the, to the tomb after Christ had risen, running to the tomb and marveling at what he has seen with the linen cloths by themselves and what had happened. That, I believe, was yet another foot washing. I can go on and on with Peter, but I'm going I'm to land this thing. As a final question, what would it look like if we, you, had this kind of faith? A faith that in humility re- recognizes Jesus' authority over all things. Wouldn't you have a faith that God is for you? Jesus says... We are blessed if we hear what he has told us and do the things he has told us and modeled for us. Any bondage we have that limits our faith is because we have put more authority in what this world says will free us. Jesus tells us in John eight thirty one and 32, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Brothers and sisters, in humility, abide in the word of God. You will know the truth of his authority, and that faith will set you free. God is for you. He sent his son to die for your freedom from sins. Will you pray with me? Father God, the one who sent his only son to be the one whose own blood would satisfy your wrath and free men from their sins. Lead our hearts in faith through your word. Cause us to hear, see, and have faith in your goodness that you are for us. For you so loved the world that you sent your only son, Jesus, so that any who would believe in him would have eternal life. We love you, God. It's in your holy son's name that we pray. Amen.